Today, here on Cincy Business Talk with Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. We'll be talking to business leaders about how they have grown their businesses and people. We discuss new strategies, tactics, and philosophies which lead to positive growth in our marketplace. Our program is sponsored by Sandler Training by Roth & Associates. Each week, we'll talk with our best Cincinnati area top executives about their tools and insights. Our regular listeners will be given the edge that will help them win in a competitive environment which we live. Simple solutions to complex problems which challenge all of us are rarely correct. We will address complex problems or opportunities with appropriate solutions. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at MikeRoth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400. Now your host, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer, Mike Roth. Thanks, Scott. This is Mike Roth. I'm here today with uh, Chuck Poland. Uh, Chuck is a Sandler trainer uh, for the past 20 years out in uh, Philadelphia. And Chuck, over the, these many years, has been working with professional firms, architects, lawyers, accountants, and recently uh, has written a book for the Sandler Selling System. Uh, and I've asked Chuck to join us here today to talk a little bit about the book and to uh, maybe give some ideas to other professionals who are listening about how Sandler might be able to help them. Thanks for joining us, Chuck. My pleasure, Mike. Uh, Pleasure to be here. Good. And the uh, book release date is July 1st? Uh, It is tomorrow. That is correct, July 1st. So this is an appropriate uh, time. And the title of the book? The title of the book is Selling Professional Services the Sandler Way, subtitled, Nobody Ever Told Me I'd Have to Sell. Okay. Uh, It's an interesting uh, subtitle, No One Ever Told Me I Had to Sell. How did you come up with that? Pretty simple. We hear it uh, roughly five to eight times a week. I did a training this morning, uh, a fundamentals program, and uh, we had four new folks, and they all said exactly the same thing didn't know anything about the book. They just sort of looked at each other when they introduced themselves and laughed because they were all in the same position. Mm-hmm. Were they all in the same com- company? No. Uh, <laughs> we we actually had uh, a potpourri. Uh, we had an architect, an engineer, uh, an attorney, and an accountant. Okay. That's good. Uh, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit more about your Sandler experience. I, I've told everyone that, you, that you've been in the Sandler world about 20 years. And, so uh, uh, we started uh, with a traditional franchise uh, a little over 20 years ago. Uh, we actually started outside of Philadelphia and suburban uh, New Jersey uh, in the Cherry Hill area. And what happened was that uh, a couple months into the franchise, we had a financial planner whose biggest client was the managing partner of a law firm who wanted to retire, who realized he couldn't retire because he was bringing in 90% of the business, and he asked if Sandler could help his attorneys, and we ended up doing what we call an in-house program for about 15 of them and saw that they were not the traditional salespeople and that we had to tweak Sandler just a little bit, uh, conceptually the, the same principles, but just soften it up a little bit, change it uh, just a little bit. Uh, attorneys in particular are not allowed to make cold calls and things of that nature. And consequently, uh, they introduced us to an accounting firm across the street who had introduced us to another law firm 
which was much larger and turned out to be a six-year engagement and worked with about 80 attorneys in that firm. And that really brought us into this direction of, you know, what we call non-selling professionals. And it was all via referral, and it started with somebody that was a financial planner in our traditional precedence club. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, So do you still run a traditional Sandler Presidents Club where you have people from uh, different companies coming in every week? So we run both a fundamentals program and a presidents uh, club program, and we mix the non-selling professionals in with those. uh, Again, we have insurance folks, construction folks, uh, heating and air conditioning folks. Uh, We just had uh, somebody else with, I think, five new people start today. And uh, one um, sold caps uh, uh, for lids uh, to, to large companies uh, on things like mayonnaise, jars, etc. So we have a total mix of clientele, and we find that we encourage our folks to get to know one another. And uh, what happens in our presence club, and probably in yours as well, is a lot of folks get to know each other and do business with one another. And the uh, non-selling professional professional service firms find for them it makes life a lot easier and they start to have conversations more easily with people that they normally wouldn't have them with. So it works out extremely well. The only difference is we give uh, the non-professional sandler materials as opposed to traditional presidents club, but uh, same class, uh, same people, and uh, they're all very interactive. They participate well. And we've been doing it that way for the last uh, 19 years, and it's worked out uh, nicely for everybody. Mm -hmm. And why don't you tell our listeners about how long you and your son, uh, Evan, have been working on the book? The book's been about a six- to seven-month process. We actually uh, were tracking how many hours it took. Uh, it turned out to be way longer than we thought. Uh, it was between five and 600 hours of actual work on the book. I will uh, candidly admit that uh, my son, who's been with me for 14 years with Sandler, only did about 90% of the work. Uh, the good news is I had lots of stories to tell, and he took good notes. He wrote it. Sandler provided us with a ghost writer that made it prettier and easier to work with, Uh, but it was a labor of love and a lot of hard work, and it was a combination of two things. Number one, our experience for our professional service firms, their biggest issue tends to be what we call more at-bats, prospecting more opportunities. So the first half of the book is really directed to that market on how to do that more effectively, Mm. and the second half is to show them how uh, the submarine, the sailor process works in their world, and it's not really any different. It may be tweaked differently, but it is the same seven-step process that the traditional folks have used. So that's really the whole concept of the book. How do you get in front of more prospects, although you may not be able to cold call, and how do you leverage your strategic alliances, your associations, and things of that nature, and how do you use the sailor process doing that? Okay, and the book is available on Amazon. Uh, and well, the Kindle. best place to get it in Cincinnati is from you. Right, but, uh, uh, I'm, I'm here. Okay. Uh, and uh, it will be available um, on Amazon uh, July 1st. The electronic version 
will be available somewhere around July 14th. Um, and um, it looks like uh, we may, in fact, uh, be announcing wider distribution over the next couple weeks. What would wider distribution mean? Wider distribution would be Chandler's in the process of uh, working in arrangement with Barnes & Noble, where in Cincinnati, Mike Roth has got the books with his picture on it, that Mike Roth will be able to go to a Barnes & Noble and do a book signing and promote him as doing the forward and uh, being available to train what's in the book uh, in Cincinnati. Well, that's a fantastic opportunity to meet uh, to meet folks. Uh, so uh, we are uh, uh, finalizing things from the Sandler, and uh, Barnes & Noble has read the book, approved the book, put it on their approved list. Now Sandler has to do the paperwork from their end. That's great. That's great. Uh, we actually did a, a similar thing when the bike book came out. We promoted it right. on the, and ran a, uh, a book signing. I don't remember whether it was Barnes & Noble or one, another store with, uh, with Hayes, the ghostwriter. Right, and we did exactly the same thing uh, in this area. Okay, good. So I, would, uh, I wish I could say that we had some original thought, but we we just pursued it on our own and found out what needed to be uh, done and uh, uh, moved it on to Sandler Management. Good. Uh, in the book, you talk about tapping into a, a large underserved uh, market, uh, a, a, pros- a large prospecting tool. What, what did you mean by that? Well, we've done some metrics over the years. Uh, at our city, we have um, a large Ivy League university uh, that we've been able to collaborate with. And one of the things that we have uh, come to understand over the years in this market is that they generally don't tap into their uh, natural source of new clients, uh, which is their own clients. And what we know from metrics is that for every four clients they have, they should bring one new one in per year so that organically they should be able to grow their businesses about 25%. And what we find is when these folks start with us virtually, none of them do that, primarily because they don't know how to ask their clients. Uh, What we teach them and what's mentioned in the book is how to do this uh, being an upfront contract when you start working with a client letting them know that uh, as you do the good work for them and uh, you certainly don't have the time to go out prospect and for attorneys legally can't make cold calls, the two way you grow your practice is through uh, personal introductions and assuming that they're happy with what you do and how you do it, will they be comfortable making those personal introductions for you, assuming that you'll be more than happy to pay for breakfast, lunch, or dinner? Mm-hmm. And setting that agreement up front so that uh, once they become satisfied with you as a Sandler trainer um, or they become satisfied, their clients become satisfied, um, that they can just translate that into revenue from their existing clients. Mm-hmm. That's good. So you go into the book a little bit about how to build strategic relationships with your clients to make them the best source of uh, referrals and introductions for new business. Yeah, that's very much part of the point of the book is um, a lot of our professional service firms, uh, I don't mean to be crude, but the term is they have to eat what they kill, which means they uh, not only have to go out and find new clients, but they actually have to do the work as well. 
So that means that uh, their time management skills become really important in working smart rather than hard. So um, setting up a series of strategic alliances, uh, referral sources, uh, if they sit on boards, how to leverage that. I'm sitting on a nonprofit board. How does that turn into business for me? Um, I happen to like to play golf. Um, I'm a good, decent golfer, but I've never been able to really translate it, it that into business. How do I do that? So those are all the kinds of things as well as how do I do a 30-second commercial that's going to differentiate me from my competition so that they'll want to have a further conversation with me so I'm just not another attorney or just not another accountant or just not another architect. So all of those are the kinds of things that we cover in the book. So in the book, we have to turn golf into a prospecting activity. No question. Uh, we just, uh, Monday morning, with uh, fundamentals, so uh, it was happened to be a beautiful weekend here, and we have uh, about a third of the folks were golfers uh, that were going to be playing golf anyway. So we actually had um, two success stories from folks that had gotten, uh, in one case, close to deal, and the other one who had been golfing with a prospect who set up the appointment as a result of that. And we actually worked with one of our local clients um, it's a golf instruction company called Golf Tech that gives golf lessons. So we've actually partnered with them for some of our clients so they can get free lessons and turn that into more business as well. So it's good for Golf Tech, our client, and it's good for our prospective uh, golfers uh, that are clients as well. So that's a good example of how to work strategic alliances all the way around. That's good. Uh uh, I've heard the complaint from uh, lawyers, especially, that a lawyer in one specialty in a firm is not getting uh, referrals uh, for business from other lawyers. Uh, does your book talk about that for them? So, yeah, we have some specific stories uh, in the book. Uh, actually, the uh, law firm I referred to before, the one that we worked with for six years, uh, that $250 million firm, um, and the managing partner, when we first started, indicated that he was considering dropping two practices. One was insurance defense, which tends to be very low-paying. Uh, the other was the employment law practice, which is also not higher billable hour rate. But our experience is, as a law firm, that's the one that can turn business around the fastest and can generate more immediate revenue, whereas with litigation or real estate or other deals, you have to wait for something to happen. But we know with employment law, you can actually go out and create business tomorrow if you needed to. But the way to do that is through cross-selling. So what we had the managing partner do with the uh, permission of his board um, was require each attorney to have one of their clients have the employment area do a uh, free assessment. Uh, in other words, for um, any firm in the United States, there are certain uh, handbooks, compliance rules that they have to follow. Department of Labor tells us that 99% of the firms in the United States are not compliant and don't do this properly. So therefore, virtually every law firm's clients have gaps in their coverage. Um, in their books, in their handbooks. So we had our attorneys all pick a client to do uh, what we call the gap analysis of their handbooks. 
And uh, in this case, it turned out that 100% of them needed work that amounted anywhere from five dollars to $40,000 worth of work. And over the course of a year from existing clients, our law firm brought in a little over a million dollars in new revenue from existing clients, which is 13 times less expensive than trying to go out and find new ones. Um, mm-hmm. So that cross-selling for law firms is essential. Most don't do it. There are two issues. Number one is origination, which in that world means who gets credit for what. And what we try and do is explain to our attorneys how if they split it, they can both make money. And the other issue, frankly, is one of trust, trusting the partners to do well and make them look good when they refer them in. So we try and deal with those issues up front so that they're not problems later. But clearly for law firms, it's a large revenue generator and it's how they make Sandler trainers look good because the Sandler trainer can teach them how to do this more effectively and frankly take a look at their return on investment for the Sandler training. Sure, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, I, I've heard the complaint in law firms from lawyers in the uh, commercial real estate sector that they're not getting referrals from people in their own firm. Uh, I've heard complaints from people in uh, accounting firms uh, that the accounting partners are not referring uh, people to the, the software side of the company because they're afraid that the software side of the company is going to make some mistakes, make make them look bad and possibly lose the accounting client. So those would be normal things that we hear all the time, uh, which is why they need somebody like us to facilitate that, to make sure that it happens. Um, and there's some accountability that becomes in place. Uh, but again, cross-selling it, and let's take commercial real estate uh, in a law firm as an example, that generally touches uh, construction, it t- touches the environmental area, um, you know, it touches uh, a number of regulatory areas. So there tends to be um, a lot of cross-selling available. Uh, not only that, these are deal people. So um, it, they may be aligned with uh, mergers and acquisitions and things of that nature. So there are probably five or six practice groups that can come from one transaction with one client, and it's a matter of um, much as we teach in Sandler. You can be viewed as one of three ways uh, when you talk to a client. You can be the vendor, which is how quick and how cheap can you do it. And the uh, law firms run into this all the time. Uh, they are commoditized by the banks as to just give us the cheapest rate. Uh, you can be a consultant. You can be a consultant on real estate, on litigation, um, and again, you can be niched into that particular area, or uh, we have stories in the book. You could be an advisor. You could sit down and say, you know what? I can appreciate that you have this problem. Let's take a look at where you're taking your firm a year from now, three years from now, and let's see if we can and help you anticipate some of those challenges. And what that will do is uh, lead to more business for everybody and you to become a strategic alliance with other accounting firms, other professional service firms to help them with their issues. And uh, one of the results is your billable hour rate won't come to account anymore because all of a sudden you're helping them with more things across the board 
And although you may be more expensive than somebody else, nobody else is brought to the table what you have in the way of relationships, trust, integrity, and your ability to help the firm move forward, which is really what we're looking for when we create these relationships. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the book, uh, you also talk about how to transform uh, low-margin accounts into high-value high uh, clients. Uh, can you share it with our listeners a little bit uh, about that? Yeah, it's all about what's in it for your client to work with you and what they're trying to achieve. What we find many times is that clients are just turning revenue and not looking at what their margins are and how profitable they are. And um, that might include things like what their offerings are, uh, what their rates are. Uh, again, let's use a law firm uh, as an example. Um, and you mentioned real estate. Well, sometimes there are folks that are um, are concerned about the below-hour rate, mm-hmm. um, and consequently it drives the rate down. But the fact of the matter is, if I have a real estate attorney that's experienced and charges 50 to to $100 more than that less expensive attorney, the fact of the matter is he may be able to do it in half the time, and he may, in fact, get you a much better result. And it may have cost you less money to pay that higher rate because you had somebody with more expertise that can give you a better result that takes less time. So sometimes people get so focused on the price that they're not looking at the end result and how much more money they're going to make with the end result as opposed to, well, what am I charging per hour? So expert as opposed to an amateur and that's exactly right it's not um well and i'm sure you run into the same thing in cincinnati is it fair to say mike that you may have a trainer or two may not be sailor in cincinnati that might be less expensive than you are sure there are plenty less expensive than we are okay and the fact of the matter is at the end of a year is it fair to say that no matter how much less expensive that firm might be that at the end of the day, uh, by and large, you're going to make your clients more money? A lot more money. It's not unusual to see a 30% uh, increase in sales or margins, or some some people see an excess of 300% in a year. So that's what we're looking for. So when people say, what's the price? That's not really the real question, is it? It's not the right question. It's like so, on this radio show, people say, you know, what station are you on, Mike? And I say that's not really the right question. The right question should be, Mike, how many people on average are listening to the show? It's really about the 1,500 people a week who are listening to any one particular show. Uh, which, which brings me to the fact that if, if we have any uh, listeners today who want to ask Chuck a question, uh, the call-in number is the same as always, uh, 646-595-4916. Uh, Chuck, perhaps you could uh, give our listeners uh, a real-life example of a case that you work with. You work with some professionals. Uh, you, you work with architects. We do work with architects. Perhaps an example out of the architectural world, because we have a lot of architectural uh, type firms here in Cincinnati. Well, we just had um, recently a client of ours, uh, an architectural firm, uh, was bidding for. We actually. Uh, have uh, the gambling industry close to us uh, now in Philadelphia and in South Jersey. Uh, and it tends to be extremely 
extremely competitive bid work for our architectural firms. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the new casinos um, asked, uh, put out what we call an RFP, a request for proposal. And um, uh, our client immediately went to uh, try and answer the RFP, and uh, they, in fact, told their marketing department to stop everything they were doing to answer the RFP. And uh, uh, the managing partner said, uh, well, we're excited about this opportunity. How do we handle it? And I said, well, with all due respect, do you mind if we stop responding to the RFP? And he said, well, why? I said, well, number one, do you know how many firms they sent the RFP out to? And he said, no, we have no idea. I said, number two, do you know who wrote the RFP? And he said, no, we have no idea. I said, so let's back up a second before we just go out and stop all the presses and stop everything else we're doing. Why don't we get some information? So it turned out that uh, the uh, casino had uh, sent out uh, 100 RFPs for this particular project. That's having worked with uh, the gaming industry before. Um, and uh, what they had was an outside consultant write the RFP. So the first thing we had them do was uh, contact the outside consultant to find out what kinds of projects they had worked on before to write the RFP. So we got that information and um, turned out that they had worked on locally um, three major facilities uh, in the area. Um, one was uh, Citizens Bank Park, which is a uh, baseball stadium where the Phillies play. Uh, the other is the Kimmel Center, which is now a uh, concert venue uh, for the symphony, uh, the orchestras, and major entertainment event- events. And uh, the other uh, was the Constitution Center, uh, which is a major now uh, tourist attraction, uh, which does the history of the United States. So the consulting firm had worked with them, and as it turned out, our architectural firm had done various projects for all of these people. And uh, what we did was we suggested to them that they get letters from those facilities uh, saying what a fabulous job they were, how exceptional they were to work with. And mm-hmm. we had them get those letters, third-party recommendations from those facilities, and we had them FedEx it to, uh, number one, the folks that were making the decision at the casino, number two, the consulting firm, without responding to the RFP. Um, bottom line is uh, my managing partner got a call uh, from the consulting firm and the casino saying, would they mind coming down to chat? Uh, they closed the business in one call as a result of those third-party endorsements from those folks that they had in common. And, in fact, they never responded to the RFP. Well, that's a great success, um, Chuck. So they never was, responded uh, to the RFP. The other 99 people who got it probably uh, devoted considerable resources to that RFP. It wasn't going to be and, and, again, that's what typically happens with, with firms, uh, and it doesn't have to be professional service firms. We work a lot in the uh, security, high-end security industry, and that business is 100% RFP. And um, these folks just jump and say how high, and they're thrilled with a 20% closing ratio, and when, in fact, there are probably other ways to handle it uh, through Sandler that will may decrease the number of RFPs they respond to but increase their closing percentage. 
Chuck, we're running out of time here. I want to thank you again for uh, agreeing to be on the show. And uh, if anyone's got any questions, uh, they can call me on 513-646-6523. Thanks again for being on the show, Chuck. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity, Mike. Good. Scott, take it away. Thanks for listening. This program is the property of Sandler Training by Roth & Associates, Inc. The show may be distributed only with written permission and then only in its entirety. If you have any questions or comments, contact Mike at MikeRoth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400.